this may not be what the creators intended, but like it can't be an accident that this is in there. Look, I remember it fondly because it had dinosaurs, <laughs> but I remember it unfondly for every other reason. The Black Donnelly's is pure gold, and you guys are wrong. Joey Ice Cream uh, for president. I'm just saying that selfie belongs in the Criterion Collection. Is it working? Uh, <laughs> no. Never, never has anything worked for me in my life, Ronnie. <laughs> Welcome to Ending Pending. I'm your host, Andy. I'm in Mormon heaven, and I'm Evan. No, oh, that rhymes. I didn't do that yeah, on purpose. Yeah, you did it. You win <laughs> Ending Pending forever. Uh, I'm uh, Nathan Fillion's probably actual real hip tattoo, and I'm Ronnie. <laughs> you can tell by those introductions. Ending Pending is a podcast where we discuss Firefly and only Firefly forever. We're currently covering Firefly. Uh, before we get into Firefly, we have guests. All the way from uh, parts unknown of, of Where They May Radio podcast, Good Neighbors, uh, we have uh, Soren and Matt. Hello. Hello, everyone. Thank you. I, I feel like we have like a math puzzle because it's there are three hosts of Good Neighbors and there are three hosts of Ending Pending, but there are only five podcasters solve the riddle. The riddle is Andy is on way too many podcasts. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is a fun game that like we keep playing where Andy doesn't fill me in on who the guest is. Uh, <laughs> until like the call is set up, and like mm-hmm, I'm not. This mm-hmm. is not a complaint. This is there is no action item here. Uh, I love this game. This is a great yeah. game. I'm Ronnie. so excited that Matt and Soren are are our guests. This is, a, this is, this is Ronnie, I feel like this is not a complaint. Is like your catchphrase now, like. Andy, I love how you drop our recording files into any random folder you feel like. This is not a <laughs> that, that happened. Uh, that complaint was from the other week. <laughs> yeah. But, not a yeah. complaint. Not a complaint. I promise. <laughs> no no action been, items required here. It, it's been fun sneakily acquiring guests and putting them into chats with Ronnie the night of recording and being like, "Look, look at who I kidnapped. Yeah. Look at who this is. Look, look at the the mouse I brought home for you to eat." Wait, did did Ronnie not know that we were going to be on tonight? No, nope. not at all. Andy, I just Andy last. Last week when we were recording, Andy was scrolling through their phone and said, hey, Ronnie, you good for nine o'clock next week? And I was like, yeah, I guess so. All right, I'll let them know. (laughs) (laughs) So ominous. So, ooh. Yeah, every single guest we've had for the Firefly arc, uh, Evan and Ronnie have not known until the night of who they were. I've been hiding in a bush for like a week, just (laughs) lying in wait. So it's not... So as not to be seen by literally anyone, even people unaffiliated with the podcast, just in case. Yeah, yeah. I did like a reverse of what they did for the Blair Witch Project, where I disappeared before we started the project. Right. I uh, did the opposite. I was fine with everyone seeing me, but I have been uh, gagged with duct tape for the last week. So no one could hear my voice because this is an audio sure. medium. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Matt was actually on the call last week, but no one noticed him. Yeah. 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 True fans, if you look at the ARG, <laughs> you'll notice at minute 42. 
Um, Evan, do you have a bit so for us? Yeah, I, I, here. yeah Evan, oh, I want to play in the space with our friends. What's what's the bit, Any, Evan? any ice cream related I, bits? No, no ice cream related bits. Uh, so in an episode that we watched for this uh, this episode of Endy Pendy, um, there was a planet where all of the rich people had their own like hovering mini planet within the planet which they presumably got to design themselves to be like whatever they it was like the the designer islands in dubai or whatever so uh scenario is you're the the like richest fuck in the galaxy you're the galactic one percent um what's your what's your individual custom-made planet on this large ocean planet look like What's it modeled after? What features have you included in your in your individual Mormon afterlife planet? Um, I mean, if I'm my my take is is what I'm sure many uh, of the takes are here. If I were a billionaire, I certainly would just not be one. Um, okay, but, but you've been I... you've been forced at gunpoint to build sure, a floating sure. island in, on this island planet for billionaires. <laughs> so I don't know, if I had a billion dollars, I think Andy got theirs, and fuck everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I, saying. To that, point, to that point, I think I'd probably uh, would be uh, a the, de- the, the most dangerous game, but in reverse, where it's instead of like poor people, it's like a bunch of poor people get to hunt the rich people that I that I drop on my planet. Wow, that I'm was like, the hey, exact a- idea I had. <laughs> it's it's almost like it's the only correct answer, I think. Um I just like text all my billionaire buddies and I'm like, "Hey, uh come over and hang out at my cool paradise island." And they're like, "Dope, should I bring anything?" And I'm like, "Just some just some cleats. Just some <laughs> running cleats." This and is then, not a uh, this is not a moral puzzle game that I envisioned, but sure, sure. <laughs> I, I think I'd build you know, an amusement park and invest heavily into cloning, and uh, maybe uh, clone uh, some like cool like dinosaurs or something, and then not the plot and then open fun. your open your billionaire island to the public yeah. and reassure them that all everything's fine. all safety measures have been uh put in place i'll to, call samuel yeah. jackson and he can hang out yeah except this is like firefly time so like the ancient alien predators that they're uh bringing back are like they're just normal alligators <laughs> mm. yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah it's like a elephants. shark <laughs> um no, I think my uh, billionaire island planet would be. Uh, I don't know, maybe musical, maybe musical themes. All of my servants would have to like sing and dance from uh, like the Music Man or Jesus Christ Superstar. At the same time, two yeah. two vastly different styles of music, but they have yeah. to do medleys of, of yep. both uh, Mer- both Meredith Wilson and uh, Shapoopy. Uh, Shapoopy. Yeah, I, I the Christ is hard about. to crucify. What? <laughs> I mean, wasn't that hard? Honestly, yeah. was <laughs> no, it was pretty easy. He it. did not put up much of a fight. Yeah, that's no. kind of his whole Everyone deal. It's nonviolence. Yeah. yeah. Everyone in Jesus Christ Superstar was like, I do not want to crucify this guy. And he was like, too bad. Gotta Live do by it. the sword, die by the sword. 
I'm the baby. Gotta love me. Uh, personally, I'd take Ronnie's idea and take it a step farther, a step weirder. Fuck yeah. Uh, Fuck yeah. Whoever so lands on this island and manages to hunt and defeat me in single combat gets my riches. Ooh. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> yeah, you're kind of going a little, like, predator there. Who's really the hunted? Yeah. That would, that, yeah, that is uh, a good place for you to take it to a step up. I would not take it to that step up. I would. Because, like, Jesus sorry. being very easily crucified, this would, that would be a very easy way to get some riches. <laughs> I would also, I would also heavily arm eight other rich people and hide them throughout the island with pieces of the keys to my lair. Mm. 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 You are just a D&D villain at this point. Yes, (laughs) all while I stalk and uh, manipulate the hunt. Sir, what do you got? What's on your Uh, one-time rich person island? I don't know. I've I've been struggling with the moral quandaries Ronnie's brought into this. (laughs) Uh, I guess guess the only (laughs) thing to do now is to build sort of like a... Uh, what's that one Peter Jackson movie where the cities are like monsters and they eat shit? King Kong. What? Uh, yeah, that's the one. Um, <laughs> I've only Andy, seen so many Peter Jackson movies. You can't, you can't just yell out the first Peter Jackson movie <laughs> you've ever thought of. Me, I'm, I'm going to build an alpha of a planet, and that planet's going to go and it's going to eat other planets, and it's going to teach the other. That, you know what? You you hunt rich people on your planet. That's thick and small. I rich I hunt rich planets with my rich planet. Ooh. I, take, I take it to the source. A little Galactus action here is yeah. what's going on. I Very mean, cool. also like they are they are just like weird sort of large spacecraft on the surface of a planet. So yeah, sure, why not? You could just build a fiery maw on yours and just have it <laughs> propel itself around. It isn't interesting because, like, as I think about, like, like part of part of what I was thinking was like, oh, well, maybe I'll just like make a solar punk utopia on like my planet, like really just test That's out. That's more these like what and... I was thinking, Ronnie. Yeah. See, this is what I mean. Well, I was y'all y'all got um you got too <laughs> anarchist with it, uh, which I'm not saying that's a that's morally bad. I'm just saying it wasn't as fun as I had hoped for this bit. Well, <laughs> I, I I think I'd go full Gatsby, just just full 1920s party. Maybe there's some show tunes, but uh, we're gonna. We're going to abuse all of the poor people and make them serve us champagne champers, and we're going to have yeah, slutty just, fun times. You just, like, veered as hard as possible in the opposite direction. Yep. I, okay. Sir, I, mean, I know of a great island for your island to eat. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just know that I'd become a monster if I was that rich. I'm being honest. You, yeah. I don't have the skills to hunt people, so I just got to live it up till I get hunted. I uh, I will say when it is time to eat the rich and you guys come from my planet, uh, please have me as breakfast. Breakfast is my favorite meal. You cool being served with mustard? Yeah, I love mustard. I'm Polish, baby. Krasushka, wouldn't you? Yeah. Wouldn't you want to be be served for lunch because that way you could still enjoy breakfast with everybody? That's like a final meal sort of situation. No, I want I want to nourish be, all of you as breakfast. You'd be dreading it the whole time. Yeah. It would really make breakfast yeah. a bummer. Yeah. yeah. 
you'd get that really anxious tummy where you're like, I know I'm hungry. I just can't eat anymore. Eat, eat me at a drag brunch. Deal. Evan, did you have any more thoughts on your solar punk utopia? Uh, well, I think I'm I'm of two minds. I can't decide if I would want it to be uh, the Studio Ghibli Museum in Tokyo, which is the most mm. soothing, pleasant place I've ever been in my mm. life. Uh, or basically like the um, uh, medieval castle Westworld, except I wouldn't abuse the robots so they wouldn't turn on me. You know, I mm. want I want like sure. medieval castle uh, LARP all the time uh, or Studio Ghibli Museum or a combination of those two things. That sounds delightful. Mm -hmm. Robots is an interesting uh, point uh, because then you get like, as you said, you wouldn't mistreat them, but then you get servants and you don't have to have as much conflict, but also knowing Evan. I don't even think I would use the robots as servants. I think they would just be like my, my fellow Character uh, like characters, yeah, yeah, in in this drama, your knights uh, around, yeah. Our, our ultimate fantasy is just like having a D and D group that doesn't have scheduled conflicts. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> sure, yeah. It's just like I just want a bunch of robots who will role play with me at any time I so choose. Yeah, yeah. I also do have to imagine that with Evan's introvert tendencies, there is a button that's just like everybody just yeah. tune down for a little bit. Like, yeah, I just need just... Evan just needs five days of complete silence. Everybody yeah. turn off and return to your bays, please. When Evan <laughs> has like, those days, like... it's brutal for me. I'm just like, Arr. I have to just go sit in a corner and stare at a wall while Evan's introvert batteries recharge. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can go weeks without talking if if you weren't around. Um, it would just be me in the house, just mm-hmm. just doing stuff silently. That happens whenever my fiance has to go away for like a month or whatever. I just stop talking to people. Mm-hmm. All right, let's talk about Firefly, though. Uh, so we watched Trash and uh, The Message. Trash opens with a naked Nathan Fillion and a very dumb hip tattoo. Uh, right on his slutty little hip. I couldn't tell what it was. I'm gonna be honest with you. Yeah, I couldn't it, tell if it was supposed to be yeah. a joke or like it, it, I, like an in joke. I couldn't tell either. It's got to uh, be Nathan Fillion's real tattoo on his real naked body. It didn't look very convincing. That's why I thought it was supposed to be a joke. Like it, if it's a tattoo, it's a poorly done tattoo. I think it's Nathan Fillion's. Possible. I agree with Ronnie. Someone it feels it like yeah. Uh, I'm I'm trying to pull up. See if I could get a, pull, a zoom pull in up your file of Yeah, pull up your, your file of naked pictures of Nathan Fillion Soren real quick. <laughs> oh, it's extensive. NCIS this bitch. So enhance, it opens. Enhance, enhance. Oh, yeah. it, it opens on Nathan naked, naked Nathan Fillion, and uh, he is like, Welp, that went well. And then it like cuts to the intro, and then it opens again on Naked Nathan Fillion, and it's like 72 hours earlier. And he, he being Mal, is doing a drop on a moon with an old friend of his named Monty. And he's taking the shuttle because he doesn't want the Firefly to be on the moon at the same time as Monty. Or else they'll get busted by the fuzz. So um, the entire time he's catching up with Monty, da-da-da-da, Monty's like, Oh, hey, meet my new wife. By the way, I got married. And he calls over to his wife, uh, Yolanda, and it turns out that it's Saffron, Malzek's wife. 
So they like start beating he calls the her sh- Bridget. Bridget. Yeah. Oh, who's Yolanda? Bridget, she, the yeah. rich guy Yolanda. calls her Yolanda. Okay. I'm getting all of Saffron's names mixed up, like one of her exes. Am I right? Um, all right. So they're beating the shit out of each other. Monty breaks them up. Mal is able to explain everything. Uh, Saffron tries to like turn Monty against Mal, but then she says Mal's name, and Monty's like, I never said his name. Uh, so Monty leaves. Mal is planning on leaving Saffron here to starve and die, but she convinces him that she has a scheme that is worth a ton of money. And uh, Mal is tempted by it. Mal goes back to the ship. Uh, he keeps Saffron locked in a chest and doesn't tell anyone she's there. He gets in a fight with Inara where she makes fun of him for doing like a bobblehead con or something. A con job involving <laughs> some bobbleheads. Uh, he goes and frees Saffron is like, tell me more about this job. And then he convinces everyone to join the heist. And it's a big old heist. They're going to steal the Lassiter, which is a very famous weapon. It's like Winchester's rifle, you know, or Henry Colt's revolver. It's like this legendary ancient laser pistol. I think it's the first laser pistol ever invented. And she knows who has it, and she knows how to get in. They just have to figure out a way out. So everyone on the crew does their little scheming, and everyone's got their part to play, uh, except Inara. She's pissed that Mal is working with Saffron. She thinks it's a bad idea. She doesn't want anything to do with this. The plan goes off well. Saffron, of course, betrays everyone. Um, She goes to pick up the loot, and uh, Inara whips out a gun and is like, haha, you dummy, I was waiting for you, we played you, I wasn't mad at anyone, this was all part of the plan. And they leave Saffron behind, and they take the Lassiter, and that's the episode. Uh, and Mal was naked, and he shows everyone his dick, his, his ding-dong. Uh, episode 2, uh, The Message, the crew is going to pick up some mail, uh, Jane gets a letter from his mother and the cunning hat. Um, Mal. Hat watch. <laughs> hat watch is here. Mal and uh, Zoe got mailed uh, a weird box. They open it up. There's a dead body. They're like, that's fucking weird. Uh, dead body has a message. It's their old friend from the war. He says that he got in with some bad people. They're going to kill him, and he wants his body to be taken back to his parents, and he knows Mal and Zoe will do it. They go to do it. Turns out he's not dead. He's awake. Uh, He rubs his ding-dong on Mal on the floor. There's a lot of ding-dongs in these two episodes. Um, The people who are after him show up. Uh, uh, Casey? Is his name Casey? 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 That sounds right. It's like a girl's Impossible name. to tell. Casey. Well, we're going to keep calling him Casey. Um, it's probably not Casey, but we're going to keep calling him Casey. Casey's enemies show up, and he overhears the crew Tracy. being like, Tracy, oh, thank you, Soren. This is why we brought professionals. Tracy is like, hey, I don't want you guys to turn me over, because he overheard like part of a conversation, not the whole thing. And so he threatens to kill Kaylee, and Mal is like, fucking nope. Oh, no, he threatens to kill Wash first, and Zoe shoots him. Then he threatens to kill Kaylee, and Mal shoots him. And um, the the bad guys are like, oh, well, you've killed him, so we're going to 
uh, we're going to take you all in. And Shepard Book is like, I know stuff about the Alliance and you guys are out of your jurisdiction and like you need to leave or else like you're going to be in for a world of hurt. And they're like, fine, we're leaving, but we're not scared of you. And they leave and then they bring Tracy's dead body to his parents. And the message plays again very sadly. And everyone is at the funeral and they all look sad and Mal looks real sad. And that's the end of that episode. Those are the two episodes we watched. Those are the two episodes we watched. And, uh, you know, I got to ask it. Uh, let's make it up. Hey, Matt. Yeah. These, these, these two episodes of uh, Firefly, did they work for you? Very much so. Uh, uh, the message is actually one of my all-time favorite Firefly episodes, simply based on the fact that every time I watch it, I sob like a toddler. Fair. Incredibly fair. Uh, hey, Soren. Wait, that's me. That is you. These two episodes of Firefly, did they work for you? Yeah, I'd say they worked. Very cool. Very good. Uh, hey, Evan. Yes, Ronnie. These two episodes of Firefly, did they work for you? Uh, they were fine. Oh. <laughs> we, got, we got some controversial opinions here. That's giving me a look through the screen. Like, how could you? He looks so sad. <laughs> Uh, hey, Andy. Hey, Ronnie. These two episodes of Firefly, did they work for you? They sure did. Uh, these are two real good ones in, in Andy's book. Hey, Ronnie. Hey, yeah. Hey, Ronnie. Hey, yeah. Did. These. Three. Minus Exciting. one. Exciting. Oh, it was two. I I messed up. <laughs> you messed up. You didn't even say farts. <laughs> uh, artifacts of our ancient culture <laughs> work for your eyeballs and Ear holes. <laughs> Ear holes, one word. Um, more like if eyeballs, facts, am I right? If, if, if eyeballs is one word, then ear holes can be one word. <laughs> no, that's that's valid. That's valid. Uh, yeah, they worked for me. I, I am Woo-hoo. I am not quite I am not quite as sour on them as Evan clearly is. Uh, the hatred that Evan was just spewing. Um, I, I I thought they were fine. <laughs> Evan, oh gosh, Evan, the controversy that you that you are kicking up here. Like, Look really, on the scale on the Evan scale, fine is actually quite good. Um, it's so. venomous. It's venomous <laughs> what you're doing right now. Um, I, I also I thought they were good. Um, I maybe where I'm at with alongside Evan is like the word bangers keeps getting thrown around a lot. Uh, by Andy, and Andy is not one who like tends to uh, uh, exaggerate anything, and so like they're good, they're good. I'll say that, and mm-hmm. 
Andy doesn't, uh, Andy maybe exaggerates some things sometimes. But what worked about these two episodes for everybody? We're if we're good. going, in, if we're going good. in order, I love a heist. Um, you know, we had Kim on last week, and Kim talked about with the uh, Ariel. You know, it's always fun when you got to get like a team together, and everyone has their job and stuff. I like that Inara got to be part of this heist, which, like yeah. we talked about last week, mm-hmm. how Inara didn't get to be like part of the heist. They just like wrote her and book out, and like no, Inara got to do stuff, which is always fun. Um. I, I think the Saffron episodes are like in our best episodes. So I, I could agree with you there. Uh, I yeah, like we the talked concept. last time about how. Nope. Go ahead. Uh, I like the concept of uh, just human human bodies being used for the trafficking of human organs. The wrong episode. You're oh, jumping ahead. Sorry. <laughs> oh, we're not talking about both of them. We usually go in Andy, order. Evan. But... Evan likes but it. But yeah, no, say, say something positive. <laughs> Let Evan good. Roll. Yeah, we should celebrate this. I don't, that, that, that was my comment. You can carry on talking about the Saffron episode. I, uh, my, my feel about Saffron is that I'm glad that she got to come back because I felt a little weird about her first episode. So I'm glad that she got to be like a, like a little bit less of a fetish object in this episode. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm happy about that. Evan, it is it is so interesting for you to not only uh, to, to be negative about it, like an episode four episodes ago during the positive section. I love it. This is innovational. It's 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 interesting. I don't know if I'm allowed. Am I allowed to like what what are the rules of positivity? Could I say whatever you say, want? So you literally say whatever you want. Um, everybody like dunks on me for always having like like bad things to say um i i, I don't know I'm, I'm always saying negative things i'm a, i'm i'm a negative nancy so i break the rules all the time you can say whatever you want it's just it's interesting you say so i uh i found the shooting scripts for these episodes online and it's just oh. funny it's funny you say that she's like less of a sex object in or fetish object in this just because like all of her screen directions are things like but the one that I highlighted that I found the most funny was when uh, Mal opens the crate. It says uh, over his shoulder into the crate. We're frowning with discomfort, wedged kind of sexily into the shipment of protein <laughs> packets. I love Shocker. when human beings are wedged. Shocker. Surprise. Wedged. Uh, who, who here is shocked that uh, the script writer for Saffron was horny about her the whole time. Amazing. <laughs> I would never have guessed. Wedged sexually no, in the protein no. packets. <laughs> I do I do sincerely think like she had more yeah. agency in oh, the yeah. like okay, so in the first episode she was in, it was a fake out. Like she mm-hmm. she seemed to be helpless and was in fact pulling the strings behind the scene the whole time. But as far as we the viewer knew, she was like you know, she was doing the born sexy yesterday trope mm-hmm. thing. So in this episode from the beginning, she did have like more power in the narrative. Uh, and I liked that. Yeah. But she, as Soren pointed out, still, they're still writing her hornily. We knew, we knew yeah. this. I, and I do like that. We get like an allusion to her having like actual human emotions. 
Because the way that they talk about her a lot is like, you're crazy. And Mal says that to her a lot. So it's nice to have like a moment of like, she's not just written as like a sociopath, but she has this genuine connection with this uh, guy. Or do we do we think that's a genuine connection? I oh, think it's yeah. to be like... I, I think mm. it is. I, I genuinely think it is because... Uh, and to her credit, I, I don't think everything she has done acting-wise in this episode was, like, super believable. But when she was telling her ex-husband, don't look at me like that, don't look at me like that, I bought that. Yeah, I think she was um, kind of, like, actually playing Mal at the end there when she pretended to be, like, more upset about it than maybe she was. But uh, I do think that was, like, Mal's point of you sat on this for six years and you didn't try and do this job till now. I do think that that was, like, a genuine connection she had with that guy. There's layers there. She Mm -hmm. clearly had complicated feelings about it. Yes. I I think uh, in a sea of her being written as her boobs bounced boobily down the boobs, uh, (laughs) I think that that was a moment that they managed to write in a incredibly dynamic character that, you know, feelings are complicated. Humans aren't black and white. There isn't just love and disinterest. There, There can be severe complications. And I think that was a, a, a moment of great writing and making them a interesting character. There's a, a thing that Star Trek does, and uh, not to bring up Housemate Kim again, but Kim and I were, were talking about this recently too, where um, they'll list like five famous uh, historical Earth composers and like the first three will be real and then the last two will be like, made up from like Sardaz of Nord. <coughs> Everyone knows the famous yeah. Straczynski and Zardoz of Nord. You know, the famous composer. I, I think probably most famously it's a uh, deep space nine, like Cisco's famous uh, favorite baseball player, like hasn't been born yet. Um, so like Firefly doing that with the Lassiter and with the other like artifacts in this guy's house. Like there's just like a normal grandfather clock there's a telephone booth. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like a painting in the back corner, but then there's the Lassiter, the first laser pistol. And uh, I, I'm just, I'm always tickled by sci-fi shows, like doing something fun like that. Uh, it's like in uh, going back to Star Trek, because apparently that's what we're doing. Uh, in one of the Star Trek movies, they're blasting Beastie Boys and they're calling yeah. it uh, classical music. Into into darkness, mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's specifically sabotage. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, of, one of the other things that worked for me was that I didn't realize this, and I think this is a genuine shooting script. There's a few things I reason I think that, just because there's like little details, like they refer to the editor. But, but one thing that worked for me is that it wasn't originally called the Lassiter in the script. Um, it was originally called the Mexican, uh, which, which leads to some funny uh, sentences like, uh, and putting our hands on the Mexican is easy. Uh, so it worked for me that Whoa, they changed uh, that in the actual script. Who thought Joss. that was a good idea? We've like, been jumping around the Joss of it all, but Joss, come on, Joss. Hang on, let me... I Did Joss Whedon write this one? 
he is listed as one of three writers, at least on IMDb. Mm, okay. I don't know if he's um he definitely got a hand on the saffron ball. You you better mm-hmm. believe yeah. it. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's ex- like so, the saffron stuff is exactly his fetish. So yeah. obviously yeah. obviously he originated that character, or if he didn't strictly speaking originate the character, he wrote yeah. in many of the things that are recognizable we, about we, the character. We have a big one of Joss's fetishes coming up in the movie shortly, which I can't wait to can't wait. discuss with everyone. Can't wait. But the the version I have states Ben Edlund and Jose uh, Molina as the writers of the episode. Okay. So okay. Sh- shame on you two. <laughs> uh, uh, if we're yeah, if, if we're if we're just judging by his name, Jose either got the script and was like these white motherfuckers, or <laughs> yeah. uh, or he was like, no, do this, it'll be really funny, and someone was like. Buddy, I'm sharing a writing credit with you. Like I can't, I can't, I can't just call it the Mexican. Uh, I do want to point out that uh, the original Saffron episode, our Mrs. Reynolds, uh, what is exclusively credited to Joss Whedon. Surprise, yeah. surprise, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No surprise there. To to just continue the the Joss Whedon kink talk in some way, shape, or form, uh, there is a a. a um, we're really just pulling out all the stops because we don't do this usually, but I, I checked out the trivia section on IMDb and it says Nathan Fillion wore a picture of Joss Whedon over his private bits during some of the nude scenes, which is uncomfortable and strange. I don't know how uh, I feel about I it. Mean, I mean, listen, good. listen, if I was in a working situation where like I had to be nude, I would throw a picture of my boss over my junk to screw with them. <laughs> yeah. Have fun with it. You might as well. Yeah, like, if I gotta be naked in front of all my friends, I'm gonna make fun of one of them. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. your boss presumably is the one who decided that you should be naked, so... Oh, then mm-hmm. I... It's yeah. definitely sure. them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's... I I don't know. I don't know who was specifically on set, but I imagine... Like, hasn't Joss Whedon said that, like, he, he's kind of controlling about, like, actors? I imagine he was there. Uh, it also says that the tattoo visible on Mao's hip is an Egyptian glyph meaning peace that Nathan Fillion got at age 19. And, and he, he reportedly regrets it. Regrets it. I, yeah. I think I'm looking at the same article. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I bet he does. It's a bad tattoo. Mm, yeah, it's yeah. not good. Yeah. Um, I, I like a good heist, and I, I do yeah. feel that this is a pretty fun heist uh the 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 bits all go together really well it does the classic uh montage of the planning being like interspersed with the actual heist happening Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. always Uh, fun i I think the, the other thing that we kind of haven't talked about is like the simon jane uh b plot c plot which is sort of like following up on the aerial episode. And I think a really effective and smooth way of like handling that character conflict. Um, I yeah. thought that was a really nice bow to tie at the end of the episode. Yeah. There's a version of it too, where like, uh, I, I felt like in Ariel, Simon's expected that Jane had something to do with it. But when he gets it confirmed by uh, rivers, uh, magic powers, um, the expectation is that he is going to do something nasty to Jane or threaten him somehow. And he does not do that to bring it back to fucking Star Trek. He pulls a Bashir 
And it's just like, no, like medical ethics are the most important thing to me. And uh, you can always trust me. I will never hurt you while you're on my table. And it's phenomenal acting on his part with like Jane, not really able to give him anything. Like Adam Baldwin is like not able to move in the scene. So like he's just acting Mm -hmm. against himself and he kills it. Uh, Just facial expressions. Yeah. From uh, Baldwin. Yeah. Pine okay, a great one of the great lines of dialogue. <laughs> um, yeah, it, even beyond uh, like medical integrity or, or whatever, like it it feels like Simon is fully settling in as like trusting this crew because like even it seems like Simon would have have let a lot of things go if to protect River. And Simon is beginning to realize that, like, the people that he has surrounded himself with have, like, earned this trust, earned this level of, like, nope, like, I, I, you know, I'm going to be straight with you and be honest with you, but I don't feel the need to, like, harm you or kill you to protect River. I'm just going to, like, shake, give you a little scare or whatever. Uh, It just, it feels, it's like a nice moment um of like despite it being like him kind of with a with a scalpel to the to the man's throat basically uh being to like i'm not gonna to, hurt you I promise um, i'm not gonna hurt you where they get kidnapped by the weird townies you know simon asks mal like why'd you come back for me and mal's like right. you're part of my crew and simon's like no really why'd you do it and mal is like you're part of my crew why are we talking about this to this scene where simon is like i am part of this crew and you are part of this crew um yeah I, there is the the simon stuff is very good the simon stuff is very like i am still a big jane fan I, 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 I like i'm i'm and and like the dynamics surrounding jane are also very good too now which is like a jane till i die it like there's there's nothing that's gonna throw me off the jane wagon at this point i i say crossing my fingers um the there's a line that um, Saffron uh, has at the beginning of, of Trash that says, like, it basically steals itself, which would have, like, it it belays, like, a criticism that I would have had with this show, like, two or three episodes ago, where some of the heists do feel like, yes, they planned it out well, and yes, they're experts at this, but things, like, the heist itself is not, like, the story, the story is how the characters interact with each other. And like in past episodes, that has been like a little clunky for me where it's like this, this is too easy. Like this, the, the stakes feel low, but here I was very glad that the stakes surrounding it were low so that we could just spend time with Mal and Saffron, like doing their thing together. Like I enjoyed that dynamic. I enjoyed them kind of playing off each other in this like tit for tat kind of way. It's a good episode. Yeah. I was going to say, on the note of things being too easy, there was one moment that, like, that did catch me a little bit like that, because there's a line where it's like, oh, and they're having a party this weekend, so you should be able to sneak in with the party staff, which does feel like a little bit, like, yeah. uh, a little convenient. I I uh, mean, right. I that that is probably why, it for me at least, it felt like that was probably why they picked that date for the heist. Yeah, the thing like is it's once, a seventy-two hour window between 
when Mal picks up Saffron and when they do the heist. Because it's like, at the beginning, it does the 72 hours earlier or whatever. Yeah. Um, I I do feel like once we learn that Saffron has, like, a really intimate connection with the, that guy, though, that, like, that's just something she would know. Like, oh, yeah, he throws a party uh, every every year this this weekend, and, like, it just so happens to be next week, so we're good. Like, it doesn't need to be something, in my mind, that she would have to, like, get the Google invite for to know that the guy's having a party right. that weekend. Uh, but I do see your point there, that it's a little convenient. Um, I will but, say but that like I... A, it's like my complaints that I've had with this show earlier, where it's just like, I don't care. Like, yeah. that, that, like there are some things where it's like, there's plot holes, there's things where it's like, this doesn't really fully make sense if you pick it. I don't care. It's good. It, it made uh, a good show. I, I like that the Mark called the cops as soon as he saw them. Like, cause he was like, Oh, let me leave and like get you the money. And he's like out there calling the cops. Um, I, I, I dig that. He, he wasn't as gullible a Mark as everyone kind of thought that he was. What about message? What about, what about, what about this, this, this poor boy in this box? Matt, you have a real emotional connection. Why don't you, you kick us off? Hey, message is probably my favorite episode. Uh, first mm. off, it has Jane's hat. Everybody loves Jane's hat. It's great. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. good. Uh, second off, I sob like a baby every time I watch this episode. I don't know why it hits me so hard. Uh, you know, listening listening to this kid talk about uh, uh, nothing ever worked out for them. They were ever never really able to figure out their life and find themselves, and then they just die. Uh, it, it breaks my heart. Uh, I, I will say, uh, I constantly draw parallels from Firefly to, uh, anime that had already existed at the time. You know, gunslinging preacher already happened in a different show. Uh, kid down on his luck, you know, meets the, uh, meets the hero character, the quote unquote hero characters who are smugglers who live on a ship. And then dies before the episode's even over from bullets already happened in Cowboy Bebop. I feel this show told it better, though, because I, I kind of was, you know, rooting for him and seeing how uh, Mal and Zoe treated him like family when he was dead, when they thought he was dead and how the whole crew was willing to show respect. But the second that he pointed a gun at one of them, despite the fact that they viewed him as family, they were ready to turn. And uh, there, there's a lot of big feelings in this episode. Also, fun fact, uh, when they're at the mail place, you notice a bunch of uh, bottles hanging up on strings, plastic bottles. Those are actually Starzan bottles that are used in brewing. Just... Hmm. Weird fact. Weird dumb fact of, you know, you just use what you can for props. Mm-hmm. I do love that there was not an overabundance of trying to talk this kid down. Like, Zoe fucking shoots him in the chest, like, yeah. right out the gate. And then yeah. uh, mm-hmm. when he's holding Kaylee... Mal, like, does his bit to try and talk him down, but the second he has a window, 
uh, he fucking ends it. And uh, yeah, I I I like that. Like in real life, you don't shoot to wound; you shoot to kill. Uh, shooting to wound is what they do in movies. And they were not shooting to wound this kid. They shot him in the chest twice. Uh, Zoe, I super, I super uh, relate with in that because if like my best friend, if they pointed a gun at my fiance, I would shoot them in the chest without even thinking twice. So like I, I thousand percent get where Zoe was coming from on that. Mm-hmm. And I, I think like the important person in this situation to like have tried to talk is Shepard and Shepard is the one who makes the most concerted effort to be like, let's calm down. And then the kid is very reactive of like, he's that's the line of like the, you, you really listening to this Bible thumper. There's like this line, I think even in the script of like, there's like an unhinged laugh of someone who's like, so it's like, and he really captures all those little bits where I feel like we understand that if anyone could have talked him down, it was Shepard and Shepard being so, immediately rebuked is like okay and i think it's cool that we as an audience i think understand that just based on the dynamics of the it's crew. interesting too because theoretically tracy would have known mal when mal was at his most devout yeah so um i guess tracy was around at least a little bit after the battle of serenity valley when mal lost his faith and like I don't know. It, it, it the fact that Tracy would have known Mal when Mal was really religious, and then mm. also throughout the like, oh, you're listening to this Bible thumper is is interesting to think about. I'm sure mm. there's a bunch of fan fiction about it. There's the yeah. the first battle that we the flashback that we meet Tracy in is in a Buddhist temple. Like the first shot of that is like mm-hmm. a big Buddha statue, and then him eating the can of beans. So I think it is like. Yeah, the, that spirituality is like is definitely a part of this, and it's it's interesting to like I'm not entirely sure I understand the religious world that Joss Whedon is creating with how he's mixing. <laughs> we don't think that uh, Joss has it fully figured out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we had a lot to say about this in the past. Like, I, he really, like he's saying something. He's trying to he's trying to say something, but I don't know if anybody knows what it is. I, yeah. I have it in my notes for this episode. Finally, a Buddha, a Buddha statue. So you've got some non-Judeo-Christian iconography in the world of Firefly. Yeah, yeah, we've remarked on that too. Like, where are all the fucking Asians? Yeah. Come on. Yep. <laughs> yep. For a uh, world that is equal parts America and Asia, sure, a lot of white people. Mm-hmm. A whole lot of white people. Every now and then, we do spot an Asian extra in the background, and we're like, oh yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> jokingly. Um, yeah, it's a little, it's weird. Weird choices. It, it, we, you were talking, Matt, about the, um, you know, kind of the, how, how emotionally charged this episode is and how, like, you know, he, he has this whole kind of, uh, monologue that he, re- he records himself. And it's like, I, I find the parallel, like, directly, I, like, who knows at what point, like where these all were supposed to go in order. But I think it's really interesting that the, uh, it comes right after the Saffron episode, the Saffron conclusion, like where we were just talking about like Saffron having these emotional moments, but kind of having to hide them in like the, in the heist, in the, in the, like, you know, 
in the game of it all. And this guy, he records this message as a seemingly as a like, uh, you know, to sell the the fact that he's dead. Like he is not has no intention of this body like being buried in like his his family cemetery when he like takes whatever drug it is and gets in the coffin. Uh, that's just part of his his heist, part of his his score. But like so much emotion is delivered so much like truth is delivered in that moment of like yeah like i didn't nothing really worked out for me we thought we were gonna die in serenity valley but it's it's the real world i couldn't really hack it in and the way that like the editors or or, or just the director replays that at the end like it the same like it is a heist it is bullshit what he is spitting but it's also so true like for him to be in this dire condition this dire state um it it is also uh, the The becomes real Mm -hmm. right it becomes the con becomes real and it's like it's it's very like uh not i wouldn't say on the nose it is very like it's not a like a a secret or an easter egg the way that they do it at the end it's it's just well done but it's just like there's so many layers to it, and mm-hmm. like it, yeah, yeah. There's like a little. Good. Oh, you go, Soren. I was just. Saying, it's like they. I think they play it like three or four times through the episode, and it's kind of interesting. I feel like if you track each time they play it, I feel like we probably have a different understanding of it each time. Where it's like the first time we believe it, second time we, it, uh, second time we start to be like, oh, it was in bad faith, and it was like a con, and then the last time it's like when it finally is actually true. Right. Yeah. And, and there's different weight to that. Like there's, yeah. there's like it, you it's, t- it's totally cheapened when he sits up and he's like, yeah, I'm selling these organs to somebody else. I just, I knew that I could go to, and when he says like, I knew I could go to, you know, Zoe and Mal because you're a bunch of saps and like, you'll, you would have like, you know, given, given whatever to, to, to help me in this way. And like that totally cheapens, totally takes the power out of his words until like they mm-hmm. kind of gut punch you at the end with like, nope, that's that's what happened. That's and, his last will and testament, basically. And on the note of him sounding unhinged when talking to Shepard and pointing the gun at the wa- at Wash, uh, when even when he called Mal and Zoe saps, it, it almost sounded like he didn't believe it himself. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like he was trying to like get the edge still while he has a bullet in his chest where he's yeah. like, no, I still, I still like am the morally superior one because I'm not like religious like you were Mal or I'm not dependent on Mal like you are Zoe. Like I'm still my own person. I'm still my own, you know, I'm doing what I have to do even if like, nope, this, this crew is like everything to them and they have this and, and you don't quite have what you lost in Serenity Valley. There's a bit where uh, Simon is asking him, uh, is this the name of the drug that they use to like make you appear dead? And the guy's like, I don't know what they fucking gave me. I didn't really ask, but like Simon has correctly identified it because it's the drug he took Mm -hmm. to appear dead. And Mm -hmm. he like hands the bucket to, I think Jane and is like, 
get that over there and oh, like they catch the throw up. That's a good moment. And that's yeah. a really good connection back to Ariel, which uh, I appreciate. Um, I'll say it too. I liked Tracy and uh, uh, Kaylee. I thought they were cute together until the like hostage situation. So, <laughs> you know, that's maybe a I yellow think, flag, but yeah, maybe. Yeah. I think they were cute together. And here I'll do my Evan bit. It's not worth the like the Simon Kaylee of it all at the beginning of the episode. Like it, mm-hmm. it doesn't it doesn't necessitate like the third time we see Simon and Kaylee getting close and then Simon putting his foot in his mouth and sure. nothing. It's inconsequential to the plot. But we got a great Carney Barker. And yes, we did. did. Carney Barker. And Wash, uh, you know, talking to the alien is great. I, I, yeah. It does make me happy that uh, sideshows in the future will not have changed since I worked for one. So uh, <laughs> Sideshows will never change. Humans are always humans. We always want to see a fucked up thing. Yeah. <laughs> Is it real fucked up? Yeah, I'll, I'll pay you a dollar to see something real fucked up. <laughs> uh, Evan, did you want to say anything about the drugs being smuggled on the body? Oh, I... Well, what I said was just that uh, it's a it is a it's a good concept. Uh, I think it speaks a little bit to uh, like the healthcare system, just a little bit. Uh, yeah. The the fact that like this guy was like, oh yeah, like I just got all my organs replaced with other organs for money. I'm just gonna go to the guy who pays me the most for my organs. Yeah, that's normal. That's a normal way to interact with the world. As I'm just gonna sell my organs for money. As someone who has tried to figure out how to sell organs to make rent, uh, <laughs> I can relate. I don't know if that was the intent when they wrote it, but uh, it, I felt it. As someone who's like, n- I haven't been trying to sell organs, but I've been having some very, some very like annoying like healthcare frustrations recently with my insurance company. Not a huge deal, like not life threatening, just deeply, deeply banging head against wall frustrating. I'm like. Yeah, th- that totally makes sense that somebody's selling their organs just for like to the highest mm-hmm. bidder for money. Like that somebody would just be like, yeah, scoop all my organs out and fill me with designer organs and then I can sell those organs. That's a higher <laughs> dollar value per organ. Um, I also this is not this is nothing to do with anything. This is not a positive or a negative. But um, the the phrase from Invader Zim uh you're one of the healthiest little boys I've ever seen. Such plentiful organs has never left my brain. It's <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> yeah. very good. Yeah, I, I, I think that the like I, I, I may have uh, ruffled some some Andy feathers with, by saying maybe these are not quite bangers uh, in the way that Andy has. It just feels like this is a good episode of a good TV show. It just so happens that there's not a lot of episodes of it. Like it just like more, more, more so than like other shows we watch. I feel like it's just like, this would be a perfectly good episode of a show that lasted four seasons. I don't, I don't, it, it like is remarkable to different people for different reasons. But for me, it's just like, that was good. That was good. And like, and and I'm moving on from it kind of thing. It, it it is not like bad. It's not like even even something where I'm like, eh, could have, you know, uh, minorly I, good. Like it's it good. 
I'm right with you, Ronnie. I didn't have a lot like bad to say about these episodes. Mm -hmm. They just didn't hit for me like as hard as some of the other ones have. Uh, they're they're not mm. they're not bad episodes. Right. Uh, they just didn't like speak to me. So I was like, it it would be too hard to say I was like bored. I wasn't bored, but I wasn't as oh, engaged yeah. with these ones as with some of the other ones that we've seen. Right. Right. Yeah, this is like right after War Stories, right? That's one of my favorites. Yeah, mm -hmm. so yeah, it's like Ariel really good... War Stories than um, these two, Crash. and yeah, yeah. yeah then and like those I think like it's some a... high episodes. Like those are. Some I, I think these four are like the four best Firefly episodes. Hands uh, down. If I'm remembering correctly, they were like right on the same disc, and that was like the disc that I played the most. Because uh, like it's it's four really solid episodes i uh yeah. i like that we saw some real bastard alliance people like mm -hmm. most of the alliance people have been like kind of snooty and like disinterested and not helpful and bureaucratic uh other than like we saw the two by two hands of blue guys and they were like fucking creepy but we just saw some real dicks like they're just real assholes and uh, I think it's good that we finally saw some like just real shitty alliance people. Yeah, and I think I think the like bizarre we the uh, the or like the the at the beginning when there's all the stores and the carnival barker that that feels like a really full world. Like that was one of the parts of the series that I feel like give the most distinct sense of like uh, a lived culture and like world outside of like. The Firefly, which is a brilliant set and amazing to live in, but, like, it's nice to get out of that and see, like, lots of people for a change and not just, like, yeah, rocky sure. terrain. Yeah, I think I enjoyed it. Felt like, it felt like a hub world, like, to me. Like, it just felt like, like, in a video game, this is where they would come back to and, like, check off their missions and stuff. Like, the fact that they pick up their mail, like, that's just, like, that is a very cool aspect of this. Monty and the uh, the Jewish mailman both, like, really make the world feel lived in. That, like, Mal and Zoe and Wash and Kaylee and Jane, you know, they have all these friends out there and stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, they know them and they pass each other news and mail and jobs and stuff. Like, it, uh, I think the two of those characters do a lot of lifting for the world building. It's also this idea of like the the entire like I don't know if there is a thesis statement to it's a small world after all, but like the idea that like it's you know because of technology because of communication, even though the world is getting bigger and bigger, like it is a small world, like that extends to when humanity is flung across a galaxy with with hundreds of little planets here and there, like it is like. Oh, we're going to go visit Monty. We're going to go visit our bud Monty. We love Monty. Monty is just like a guy that like we like is on a, a planet light years away. But we love Monty. Like it just that bit of humanity persists where it's just like we have these connections. And, and even though the distance is greater, it's it's still like so human to like it, it's a small world. It's a, it's a small galaxy. You know, we're always bumping into each other. I just it, it that is it makes the world huge, but also like very homey and like real at the same time. 
Any negatives? Do we want to get into negatives? Can I say one more positive thing? Yeah, Soren, yes. you sure can. It's a it's a bit of a reach, but I don't know. Uh, I'm I'm not particularly religious, but in the message, the planet that they're trying to bring Tracy's body to is called Saint Albans, and I don't know if any. I looked it up, and the whole deal with Saint Alban apparently it was the first British saint, uh, and he was a martyr who is apparently the patron saint of refugees and tortured people and such. And basically his whole story was there was a priest that was seeking refuge and he hid the priest. And when the authorities came demanding that he give the priest up, he wore the priest's clothes and was then given the sentence for uh, the man instead. Um, And so I think it's just interesting with like that being the sort of a lot of parallels to Mal and Tracy being like, is he going to take on the sort of like alliance? Is he going to give him up? And it's like, I think there are some resonances with like, just picking St. Albans as the name of this home planet that most of this show episode happens on. Yeah. Someone fucking went to Catholic school who wrote that script. Yeah. Even, even just the idea that like this, uh, man who says things like what are we doing with all these Bible thumpers comes from a place named after a saint. Like mm-hmm. obviously there's some like religion in his like backstory, like to have well, that go full be, circle is to be fair. There's a ton of locations named after saints and there are lots of people who live in those locations that aren't religious, Yeah, but, I, <laughs> but presumably based on this world, that colony would not have been set up all that long ago. And so like, it's a Catholic colony, obviously it. they yes. named it St. Yes. Albans. Yeah. Right. It's like, not, it, 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 you know, it, it's not like you go to Cabrini college in, in in over here in Pennsylvania and it's uh you know, it's a Catholic university, but it's just a huge drinking college. But like, this is, presumably within like the past hundred years, those people who named it that are still, you know, around and, and, and spreading stuff. I could have done without a lot of trash. Uh, I, I would have been much happier if that was a Mal and uh, Saffron episode with Inara kind of being the twist bits of like, you know, Inara kind of like constantly checking back in and making sure that Mal's okay and Mal kind of like brushing it off. And then like that being the the whole heist all along is like Inara is the one who is like pulling the string. Like I would have been happier with that. There are elements of a lot of these episodes and these heists. While I don't care that they're like a little bit yada yada they still feel the need to give Jane, Zoe, Wash, and Kaylee something to do that is kind of, like, could just be hand-waved, of just, like, we've got to reroute the trash bins. Already did it. Already done. Don't... D- give give them something real to do with some real stakes, and not just, you flew the, the airplane too high, and you almost fell off it. Like, you know. I couldn't figure out why Mal went in with Saffron and not Zoe. Yeah, and that, that makes sense. Me. It's just like, Zoe is clearly just as capable as Mal. Uh, we get to see her being like a real badass in the war flashback in War Stories, which is great. Or sorry, in The Message. Mm-hmm. Um, send her in with Saffron. Saffron's not going to get the jump on her. 
It, I'm inclined to agree. Uh, they they should have sent Zoe in with Saffron. It would have made it would have been a more intelligent decision. I'm not sure if it would have been as good TV if that makes sure. sense. Right. Yeah. That's a th- that's the thing. It's like the the whole like why didn't the Eagles just take the ring? Is because because we needed to tell a story on the way there. You know what I mean? It's, Although. It's, it's, I, I liked that dynamic between Mal and Saffron enough that like I didn't care that it was Mal yeah. and Saffron. I would have just liked to have spent more time with them if there wasn't going to be much happening with Kaylee and, and washing them. It could have been an interesting opportunity. If Zoe had gone, it could have been an interesting sort of opportunity to offer sort of like a counter to war stories, which is very Mal wash heavy to then give sort of Zoe a chance to be like, I'm going to lead this mission Let's learn a little bit more about like my inner world. I think that would have been an interesting time to like get her away from the group in a time in a way that we don't really get to see Zoe independent of everyone. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think that allows a ton of opportunity for Inara to still be mm-hmm. as powerful as she is in this episode. F- fucking like pass the Bechdel test at uh, Firefly, like to do do it one time. Uh, like the the three girls like you know, doing the thing and, and, and trying to outcon each other without it being like a, ha ha, I'm going to kiss you. I'm going to my, use my feminine wiles as Mal says, like it would have been maybe uh more interesting, but maybe outside the realm of what these writers like were capable of like mm. really putting on the page. Yeah. I, there was a part in the, the, when I was reading the script and I could not for the life of me, remember if it happened actually in the show or if it got cut, but Zoe and, um, uh, Saffron having like a conversation. It's like right when it's it's the bit, or it's it's a weird fucking part. No, no, it's it's. Let me hold on. I had I took a screenshot. Let me pull it up. Because it was like basically I was like, oh cool, two women talking. But then all they're talking about <laughs> is like how good Wash is at sex. And I was I like. Don't... <laughs> I don't, I don't remember, remember that, that being in the episode. episode. Yeah. It's it's Inara and Zoe, and Inara says, overbooking is a cardinal sin. Clients must feel the experience is timeless. Only thing worse is a badly faked fall. See, that's where me and companionship part ways, says Zoe. I never could work the notion of pretending a man was getting it done when he wasn't. Inara says, so you've never pretended to fall? Which is the weirdest euphemism yeah. I've ever heard. Yeah. Zoe goes, one time, poor boy was bone tired. And Ara says, and he knew, son of a bitch called me on it, blah, blah, blah. Or no, she says, did Wash ever, do you ever have to fake it with Wash? She goes, yeah, one time. But he knew, and he called me on it. And they were like, it's just like, the whole script comes to a halt to be like, how good at sex is Wash, though? Alan Tudyk fucks good. (laughs) Zoe's like, oh, it's so fucking good. Yeah. Firefly Alan Tudyk's version, clearly. Um, mm-hmm. This is the Alan Tudyk cut of, of this. Of, of, of yeah, this I have to assume that that did indeed get cut, and thank goodness it did. That would yeah, not have added yeah. anything, and yeah. I, cannot, I can't imagine it being delivered in a funny way either. Uh, somebody made the right choice. It's like an anti-Bechtel test. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Two women, two named women, and they only talk about fucking the one dude. <laughs> they both talk about fucking the same dude. Andy, what's your complaint? Because I know you got one. My complaint, yeah, I got a complaint. I got a complaint. To have a, like, extended gay prison rape 
joke mm-hmm. yeah. threats <sighs> scene. Yeah. Um doesn't hit well when there's not any gay characters. Um and I'm I'm using gay there in the in the not umbrella term sense of the word. Like uh it's clear that uh Inara is um is bi, but like it's the early two thousands and like the fucking funniest thing in the world is like can you imagine gay people having sex and mm-hmm. like gay prison rape jokes were also like everywhere. They were very in vogue. They yeah. Were. yeah. There's like a whole yeah. Will Ferrell, Kevin Hart movie where the whole joke is like gay prison rape. Um, so like, yeah, it's just not funny. It doesn't hit. It's, it goes on way too long and um, yeah, don't need it. I have a complaint. It's more of a like overall complaint than a complaint about these episodes, though. And I, I think I only have this complaint because I know uh, about Joss Whedon's apparent stated goal of writing a religious character that he likes. Uh, I don't think he is succeeding with Shepard Book. I don't think that he can simultaneously make Shepard Book religious and a likable character, I think he swaps between these two modes. Mm. Uh, I think Shepard Book is occasionally religious. He occasionally, in the show, acts as a, like, a a religious character. Uh, I, I guess he's equivalent to, like... It's not clear if he's equivalent to, like, a priest or, like, a monk, um, but it, like... He's a religious leader of some kind, and uh, I think that he's got dialogue moments that sort of, like, speak to that element of his character, and he's got a lot of action that uh, is sort of, like, the stuff that Joss Whedon and co, like, Joss Whedon and his co-writers think is, like, cool and effective and useful for the team and, like, never do the two overlap in a meaningful way. I, I always kind of thought that it was like, that was the interesting like dissonance with him is that he felt like someone who was using the cloth as like a cover story. Yes. Well, that's, that... that's the, that's the problem because according, I think Andy, you said this, Joss Whedon's challenge to himself was to rel- write a religious character that he liked, like he challenged himself to write a religious character that was the sort of character he wanted to write about and know more about. And I don't think he did that. I think he created a character who's either pretending to be religious or is not Mm. actually committed to religion and is secretly a badass. And like the like Mm. religious aspect of Shepard Book's character is just a coat of paint on the top. Well, so... It's a Western trope of, like, the gunslinger who killed a bunch of people and now feels guilty about it and gave up the life and has now found a peaceful life. It's what we see with the Hound in Game of Thrones. Like, the the Hound stops being the Hound and he, like, joins this religious movement and he's struggling to, like, put away his past. I think that's kind of the trope with Book. That's what it felt like. I'm not saying that book is a bad character or that it is Mm -hmm. bad writing to write a character that way. I'm saying that now Mm -hmm. that I know that that was Joss Whedon's goal, 
Mm. I think he failed at that goal. Interesting. There was there was another line that I think got cut that I think was cut because it was too explicitly nodding at like his past. And the line was that right after uh, he deals with Womack, Jane says to Book, he says, either you spent a lot of time fighting bad cops or be in one. And Book responds, maybe both. Mm. Um, mm. So it's like, I think I understand why they cut that line in the understanding or the assumption that you'd get another season to build that. Um, but I think cutting it did take away a little bit of a moment of like a head nod to clarify that a little bit more, I think. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm going to start out by saying that Shepard is my favorite character, but my gripe was the, the Shepard, uh, uh, what was their name? You just said it. Womack. Womack. Yeah. Uh, uh, a stare down at the end of the message. It felt... It felt rushed, like they were just trying to put a quick bow on the episode, and it could have equally have been handled by them eventually not finding them and flying away, and you still could have had all the drama of do we call them, don't we call them. I feel the end of that episode really, uh, or not the end, but specifically the Shepard Womack scene made everything else feel uh, pointless in that moment. Yeah, it, it, it was very yada yada. It was very like, and I think that these episodes have a tendency to do that of just like, we're going to kind of like skip a little bit over the end. Like we're going to like hand wave and it's all, it's all okay. Slam a but, through this dialogue to get to the actual. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. But like this one, it was very like these people chased you to a planet and they're just going to pop on the boat and be like, Hmm. Yeah. You've all got guns here. I didn't think you would have guns. I guess we'll go home now. All right. Y'all got guns and our guy ha- has a bullet wound. Yes. It's all over. Mm. Yeah, I feel like and I feel like a lot of it could have been fixed with how they set it up. I think like it's obviously like it needs to be the surprise of like, oh, but they had a plan all along. But I think there's a way to give us a little bit more of the clues as to like what it is that Shepard is actually like piecing together here. Yeah, I mean, I was on the record last week as saying that some people needed to die. And and I'll, I'll say it again, like the the. I, I compare this like hand wavy to um, train job all the way back at the beginning where like you just mess with a bad guy and he's going to chase you down. And here's his henchman saying like, well, I'll, I'll he'll find you. He's going to get you like da da da, And they just kill him. And like it, it is kind of like a humorous thing, like the way that they do it. And like, OK, bring in the next guy. Um, but like if they would have just said like. If I think I think Shepard says, like, if if you guys ended up in the bottom of this canyon, no one's going to come looking for you to do it. Like, it's just like, you know, mm, they yeah. each walk on, they're dead. And then, you know, have them be like, what are you doing? And Shepard be like, no one's going to come looking for him and have him just like kick them, kick them off the, off the ship into the canyon. I think that that exacerbates Evan's problem with with um with book but uh but I don't know that there's a way to get out of that but I I will like, reiterate I don't dislike 
book. And sure, I don't yes. I don't dislike that he does badass stuff. I'm just saying, like, right. it feels like Josh exacerbates. Whedon, yeah, yeah. Exacerbates your your problem with Joss Whedon's social experiment that he's conducting yes, on himself. Yes, yes. Feels like Joss Whedon does not know how to integrate the concept mm. of a religious character and a character who does cool things. So he wrote two characters and they're played to, by the same guy. To be fair, I, Joss Whedon really hates Christianity, and I don't blame him. So I, yeah, again, the, the, I don't the fact blame that, him either. Well, the like, fact that no, but like to your point of the, I think the point you're trying to say is that like book doesn't feel like. Uh, well, like the the two parts of him feel at odds to you, and you you feel like Joss failed in his mission of creating like a compelling uh, Christian character that's likable, because you feel like the the parts of book that are likable are at odds with the fact that he's also sometimes written to be really devout, right? That's like what you're saying. Um. Yes. Basically. Yeah. And and like to that point, like. Yeah, if you told me to, like, Andy, write a really devout Christian character that's likable, I'd be like, ooh, I don't think I could do that. So, like, yeah, I, I can understand Joss, like, not quite being able to, like, make all those I's dotted and T's crossed. I think I could. Look, I'm throwing down the gauntlet to Joss Whedon. I think I okay. could write a, a religious right. character who feels sincere in their convictions and who also is a character that the audience can relate to, even if they're not religious. I think I could do it. All right. Yep. Send us an email, Joss Whedon. We'll have you on, and we'll, yeah. we'll have this hashtag. <laughs> <laughs> to that point, though, what I love about Book is that he's kind of like not a great preacher, and I think that's mm. what makes him yeah. really compelling to me. Is that like the fact that he is kind of a bad preacher? I think makes him a really good preacher, uh, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as much as I, I agree that like the big confrontation is like very rushed, I I think we very badly needed a book moment because mm-hmm. yeah. Shepherd book does not appear in trash. I think more than once. Yeah, yeah, they to tend the point- to write him out of the, like the the big heavy crime episodes because like what do you have him do? Yeah, and mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. That's a shame. It's a big ensemble. Like it, it is like when you are like you need to have a reason for all of these people to not only be here, but to be in the camera. And it's just there's a lot of folks. That's what that was my problem with, like the the fact that like nothing was really happening with Kaylee Wash and and Zoe during the the Saffron Heist. It's just like it. Th- then don't put them on screen, but also maybe write good stuff for them to be on screen with. So, you know. Uh, your your mileage may vary there, but Evan, surely you have another negative. No, not really. Uh, like I said, I didn't like feel like strongly negative about these episodes. They just didn't hit for me as well as some of the other ones mm-hmm. did. Sorry. Sorry to have let you down at the one thing that I am good at. <laughs> You're good at so many things, Evan. I was a, I was a little confused about the, um, Saffron, the mark in Trash, they give the whole backstory of, like, he's a bioweapons guy who would eliminate a town and then go in and steal their uh, valuables once everyone was dead. But then, like, at the end, Mal has a line where he says to Saffron, like, oh, you're now stealing from the one guy who didn't deserve it. So I was a little unclear of if it was supposed to be that she was lying about that whole 
backstory or if it was like I don't know that just muddled it for me where I was a little confused if the whole bioweapons backstory was supposed to be just Saffron again playing them and I think that's where I get a little confused with Saffron sometimes is like They have these like, oh, I'm playing you, but no, I'm playing you. And actually, but we're playing you on yes. this other level. And I, I genuinely wonder if that's the purpose or just if it was good writing or bad writing. Are you supposed to be confused and muddled in the end? Or Right. Well, that and I th- th- thank you very much, Soren, because you made me remember what I what I was going to say. I would have liked a little bit more breadcrumbs in that episode. Because it is very much like uh, they are contemporaries. I, I think I've confused them a couple of times in the shows they've worked on. Joss Whedon and J.J. Abrams are contemporaries. Mm-hmm. And I think that Joss Whedon might see the puzzle box, mystery box, whatever, whatever J.J. Abrams calls it and like want to do that. But he doesn't do it as good as J.J. Abrams does, where like mm-hmm. he wants to have the big twist at the end that nobody saw coming but like you you just don't like you just don't telegraph anything like you have Mm -hmm. to telegraph a little bit of it in order to like make it so that you go back and see like the butterfly effect of the whole thing but like joss whedon in a couple of these episodes i've been like so you just did like a very like Mm -hmm. a well-written but just like not like uh, cohesive kind of conclusion yeah. to this like that is that uh, it, it sounds like maybe that's what what your experience was too where it's like there's a lot of pieces here and none of them fit together until the end there's mm-hmm. no way that you can like work it all out and it's all plans that have happened behind the scene that you didn't show us yeah. at all and I, I think to a certain extent sometimes my my frustration with saffron is it's a lot of people being like Saffron is so good. You really did a great job of tricking that person. And it's like, it right. just, there are a lot of times where it's like, she feels on her face disingenuous. And then everyone's like, oh, what a, what a master deceiver and manipulator. <laughs> and I don't know that we get to see her be that all that much. Right, right. We don't see the deceive. We just see the like, the reveal, the prestige. And it's like, yeah. but there was no, there was no magic trick here. Where's, where's mm-hmm. the setup? Um, to Matt's point, like, I think that there are a lot of elements that, like, make that, like, that mystery of Saffron very interesting. Mm-hmm. But, like, let's play in the middle a little bit. Let, let, let's let have some, like, little bits that they do give us with, like, oh, is Yolanda your real name? Is But then, it, like, at the end, it's like, and Yolanda's not my real name. Like, everything has to be a mystery. Like, mm-hmm. And I, I like if, if since this is, again, talking about like this on the tale of War Stories is interesting where it's like War Stories is the follow-up and consequences of Train Job, and then this is the follow-up and consequences mm-hmm. of uh, Armis Reynolds. It's like, it's it's nice mm-hmm. to see them at least circle back and like yes. deal with those things again. I did complain last time about how it not being it, it not being super serialized, not being too, too uh, continuative and it, it continuative. That's a word. Uh, and, and the show did spit in my face and, and say, ha ha. We got follow ups to train jobs, Ariel and our Mrs. Reynolds mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all together, mm-hmm. baby. Yep. It's good stuff. It's a good show. Yep. It's a good show. I do enjoy it a lot and a lot mm-hmm. more than I thought I would. 
So for a very, very, very long time, it was probably my favorite show. And then I got really burnt out on the uh, bring back Firefly memes and all the nerds. And then I found out about Joss Whedon and I found out about his plans for season two. And Oh, I'm going to be getting into that next week, Matt. I can't wait to hear about it. Yep. But uh, going back and rewatching it, I was like, man, now I remember why I love this show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it going back, I, I was really worried that like the Joss of it all would be ruined for me. And while there are moments where that shit's that shit shines through, and I think it would have been a better show if it didn't. Uh, I do still think that it like holds up on a rewatch and it's not, it's easier for me to separate the art for the artist here than like certain other cases where the person is, you know, still alive and still in control of it and still making money off it. So the fact that there's not going to be any more firefly kind of makes it easier to go back and enjoy Mm -hmm. this and know that like Joss isn't making billions off it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We can't visit the firefly amusement park. God, can you imagine? <laughs> I'd want one of those weird balls go. on the stick thing that River Yeah, and... the, the nice planet. Fuck yeah. You know what? Next, next time I see all of you, I'm going to have ice planets. I'm going to figure out how to make it, and it's going to happen. Hell yeah. That also was a good Jane bit, too, of like, she's so smart, she can't even figure out how to eat this really weird snack. <laughs> like... Yeah, yeah, that's that's so, that's that feels Philly. It's like, oh, you don't even know how to eat a cheese. You don't have to order a cheesesteak. You'd think you're some kind of genius. You're trying to pay with a card. What are you, stupid? <laughs> Cash only. Uh, Jane feels Philly. Let's wrap this up. I got to take a shit real bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you so much to our, our guests, Soren, Matt. Anything that you would like to plug either together or individually, you are not exclusively a package deal. Uh, I'm not involved in any other projects. <laughs> no, uh, you could find both me and Soren on, uh, along with Andy on Good Neighbors, and Ronnie's our producer. <laughs> I'm in the background. Editor. I'm sprinkling, I'm sprinkling some stuff yeah. here and there. Ronnie, Ronnie adds his breathing sound effect to the background of every episode, just just for the presence. <laughs> and the if ARG. you... Yeah. The ARG, baby. If you play the episodes on a record player in reverse, you can hear, hear Evan tell you where the uh, dead beetle is actually... what island the dead beetle is actually alive on. Mm-hmm. 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 I do press every episode on vinyl for just that reason. And it's getting expensive, but eventually one of you are going to pick up on it. And I'm really excited for that. What about you, Soren? You can also hear my voice. That's me, Soren, talking on. uh, I do voice acting on a podcast called Murphy. It is about ghost hunting and it's an audio drama, which is a little bit of a different format than Good Neighbors, but a similar vibe. Ghosts. I like ghosts and ghouls. Um, you can, as we said, listen to uh, 
three and a half of the people who are here now on Good Neighbors, uh, which is another show on the Where They May Radio podcast network. I think I think by the time this comes out, Where They May May has finished up, but all that content that we produce during Where They May May, that still spends. You can get in the Patreon and, and check all that out anytime that you like. Uh, and even there was some free stuff that popped off. So, so get in there and just get a little, get a little taste. First taste is free over at, uh, patreon.com slash WTM radio, uh, go to where they You can find links to all of our podcasts, including fan fiction is good. Actually forced friends, rewatch the aforementioned good neighbors and ending pending. Uh, I was just on an episode of, of, of fan fiction is good. Actually talking yeah, about, about Taylor, uh, Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift, which is an inc- like, it was complicated when we recorded it. It is so much more complicated now as we are releasing it. It's gotten it. messier. Yeah. Uh, get get in there. Get in there and hear me. Uh, several months ago, uh, like a a, uh, a a a a a gentle baby compared to what I am now in the Taylor Swift fandom. I can't wait for the um, update episode. Oh gosh that that'll be on that'll be on swiftly <laughs> swifty tilting planet that that's that for sure I think that one will be a, a free cut because I need to say some things also I gave um, you I gave you credit on uh Twitter Ronnie but uh everybody on the planet should know that uh, Ronnie edited that for me because I yeah didn't I I just I had a I had a bit of life there and I didn't edit it and then Ronnie very kindly and patiently stepped up to edit that for me happy to help out my fellow podcaster in need um i think that's it yeah go to instagram where they uh, uh, at where they may on instagram at where they may on on twitter uh at ending pending on on twitter uh andy how do we end these episodes we're never doing firefly after this nope. time we're never doing it again. After this, that, we're once, never doing we've done, once we've done it, when, once we've done it, then after that, we're never. Doing if you it. can't fire, you fly, and if you can't fly, you find someone to surrender to you. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Love it. Where they may radio.